Is it possible for someone to be worshiping on the Sabbath and worshiping this God, the God of Rome, the Trinity? Yes, that's possible. What would happen to them? Hmm, glad God is judge, not us, huh? So the, the point here is this, brothers and sisters. This seal of God and mark of the beast issue is not as clear cut as we would like to think. As far as you worship on the right day, you're in. You worship on the wrong day, you're out. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Nader Mansour, and I pray this message will draw you closer to Jesus. Okay, the title of our study this uh, afternoon is the seal and the mark. And of course, as soon as I mention this topic, particularly to an Adventist audience, we straight away, oh, we know what he's going to talk about. About, yeah, <laughs> Sabbath and Sunday. But uh, this might be a little bit of a different look at the seal and the mark, because I want to look at this familiar topic to all of us based on the principles that the scripture presents to us as far as the seal and as far as the mark. So we're going to be going over grounds that might be familiar, but along the journey, it might, we might find some, some new aspects to it. So we want to keep that in mind. Oh, okay, thank you. Is that still good for the video or is that too dark now? That's great. So the current thinking on the subject, as soon as we talk about the seal and the mark, the first thing that comes to people's minds is, of course, uh, Sabbath and Sunday. Correct? And I want to examine that and I want to challenge that a little bit because I think there is a lot, of, a lot of confusion over this issue and this confusion actually leads to a false sense of security. A false sense of security that results from uh, thinking that we know and have an expectation of what's going to come and it's going to be thus and so. We have our charts for it. We have exactly where this one's going to start, this one's going to end and what's happening. And we are going into the end time knowing what's coming. And the danger is, if in some way we have missed something, then there is a very serious false sense of security. You with me? And this is what I want to examine today. And this, this is something that applies to all uh, breeds of Adventism. When I talk about Adventists, I'm talking about Adventists of every breed, okay? Whether in the church, out of the church, offshoot, upshoot, downshoot, independent, uh, codependent, uh, you know what I mean? Everything. Every person who professes some kind of adherence to the Advent message, the Seventh-day Adventist message of the Three Angels' messages, we have this, this common psyche when it comes to end times, when it comes to the seal and the mark, we consider ourselves as experts, as very informed about end time events, and poor Sunday keepers, right? If they only knew what we know. We have, there's this sense of, of, in the back of our minds. And so I want to examine that a little bit, because like I said, the issue of worship in the last days is a very serious one. And we cannot afford going into it thinking we've got it all right when perhaps we just might have missed something along the way. You see, the seal and the mark can only be rightly understood in this context of this issue of worship. And I'll tell you something right off at the start. The issue of worship has more than just the day in it. Okay, and, uh, and this is the issue I want to examine a little bit. And so as we look at the seal and the mark, I want to go to some familiar passages, like I said. And in order to understand what the mark is all about, we need to look at the seal. Because they are the inverse of each other. If we somehow miss something or misunderstand something about the seal, it is a guarantee that we will misunderstand something about the mark. 
the two are have this inverse relationship. Of course, we know about the seal of God. We read about it in Revelation 7 and verse 2 and 3. It says here, And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Of course, here, this is the seal. And if we were to illustrate this, it is the seal of the living God. It belongs to someone. And the question is, who is this living God? Who is the owner of the seal? We don't generally go to that detail. Generally, it's assumed, or everybody knows that. Let's get to the meaty bits, uh, the Sabbath. So I want to look at it a bit more in detail. Who is this living God? And the Bible tells us, of course, Jesus asked this question to Peter and Peter answered in uh, Matthew 16, 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So the living God is the Father of Christ. And Paul tells us pretty much the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 1. 9 and 10, for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So very clear, the living and true God is the Father of Jesus. It is God the Father. In other words, very clearly, the seal belongs to how many people? It is the seal of the living God. It belongs to only one person, the living God, the Father. It does not belong to a group. It does not belong to a committee. It belongs to one individual being, one person, God the Father. And someone might say, well, well, that's obvious. Uh, maybe it is obvious now, but... This is something, brothers and sisters, a lot of people assume, take for granted, and as a result, what seems to be so obvious is not so obvious to everyone. And as a result of that, that can lead to misunderstandings of other things, as we shall see. We, that's why we're looking at both. And so the Father is the owner of the seal. And of course, in Revelation, it identifies to us that his seal has to do with his name. And we know that because that's a description in Revelation 14.1. It says, I looked and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion and with him 140 and 4,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. That's where the seal goes, right? So the seal of the living God goes in the forehead. And 144,000, <clears> they have the father's name written in their forehead. So according to the book of Revelation, the seal of the living God is the father's name. Correct? In the forehead. Of course, we know the forehead means not something physical. And the forehead is in the mind. That's where you worship. So this is the identity of the God that they worship. And their true and faithful worship is recognized by heaven by giving them this seal of the living God. They belong to God the Father. This is who the owner of the seal is. So if we want to put that, we can put the Father's name there. And I want to mention something here so we don't misunderstand. Uh, Jesus told us, the only way to the Father is through who? Yeah. Through Him, right? He is the way, the truth, and love. So I want to put the Son there because you cannot have the Father if you don't have the, the Son. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that the Father's name is where? In His Son. You remember that? Christ has the Father's name by inheritance. And so when we have Christ, we of course automatically have who? The Father's name. And so I don't want to uh, miss that particular point. 
It's only through the Son. And of course, you know, Jesus said one time, Matthew 22, uh, 37, Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. And of course, the mind that is, what the reference to the mind here indicates understanding, comprehension. It's in the mind where worship takes place. True worship. That's an, it's an exercise of the mind. That's why the, the battle between the seal and the mark is not going to be over an external item that some people might have and some others might not have. It's a battle of worship. It has to do with what's going on in the mind. And as far as the mark of the beast, it has to do with the hand. But that's, that's for later. So loving God with all the heart, all the soul, and all the mind. You see, God wants us to have an understanding when it comes to how and who we worship. And of course, Jesus uh, confirmed that again another time when he was talking to the woman at the well in John 4, 23. He says, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. What's the name of the group of people who are going to be the true worshipers in the last days? 144,000 who have the Father's name in their forehead. They are true worshipers. They worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That's what Christ is referring to here. And the issue of the seal of the living God has to do with that, as we are seeing. That's why we're kind of trying to unpack it a little bit here. That's who the true worshipers will worship. Now, of course, someone might say, well, you know, that's good and well, you know, he's, he's going on for a while here. He hasn't even mentioned the Sabbath yet. When, when do we get to the Sabbath part? And, and we're going to get to it in a minute, but... Uh, I want us to keep in mind this foundational principle as to who the seal really belongs to and what issues are involved in it. I want to read a verse, another familiar verse in Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 12. It says here, Moreover, also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctify them. And according to this verse, it says the Sabbath is a what? It is a sign. And it's a sign of something. What's this a sign of? It's a sign of sanctification that comes as a result of who? The Lord. It indicates that. Now, the Lord here is in capital. Of course, that's the Hebrew Yahweh, which is, of course, who? God the Father. In other words, the, the, the Sabbath is a sign that indicates that God the Father is the sanctifier. Now, how is God the Father the sanctifier? By dwelling in His people. That's why the Father's name is in the forehead. The Sabbath indicate that His presence in His people, of course by His Spirit, I think we all know that, His presence in His people is what makes them holy or sanctifies them. And the Sabbath is the sign that points to that. You with me? Very significant point. We, we too often mistake the sign for the destination. Okay, the Sabbath is the sign. The destination is the sanctification that comes from God. The sign is not the destination. You know, uh, when we're coming from the airport, and we, we probably have a sign that says Rhone Mountain this way, okay? If we park under the sign, and we say, look, it says Rhone Mountain, here we are. We haven't arrived, right? That would be very, very silly if we did that. The sign points to the destination. The Sabbath is a sign that points to a destination. If you don't get to the destination, it doesn't matter if you have the sign. And so if we put that this way, the Sabbath is a sign, and it is a sign of the Lord, the living God, who sanctifies us by dwelling in us. He is the sanctifier 
of his people. So I want to ask you a question. This is a thought question. I, I like to ask a lot of questions if, if you haven't figured that out yet. If you have the sign and you do not have the living and true God, can you have the seal of the living God? Okay, a few people say no. Others are very wisely silent. Okay. I want you to think about that. You can answer for yourself. I'm not going to answer that to you. But I want to compare that with another uh, similar situation in the Bible. Remember, God one time gave Abraham the, the everlasting covenant, right? And then when he gave him that, the Bible says he gave him a sign of the possession of that covenant. What was the sign? Circumcision. Circumcision was the sign, the outward sign of the belief or the faith or the possession of that covenant. So I want to ask you a question. Was everyone who was circumcised in that covenant? No, it wasn't. It was just a sign. It was out, an outward sign. And God required that, but what was intended by God was it was a picture of what would be in the heart. So just an interesting parallel to keep in mind as far as the sign and as far as this, the destination. <clears throat> of course, the Father's name is in the Sabbath as well. There's no question about that. And, and the point I want to make is this. The two are linked. We cannot separate the two and still have the seal of the living God. And this is the problem that we have that is so common amongst us as a people, as I mentioned, today. We have essentially ignored that part when it comes to the living God, and all the focus seems to be on the Sabbath sign. To the point where people feel, well, if you, uh, all you need to do to be ready and safe in the last days is if you keep the Sabbath, right? You know what I'm talking about? There are a lot of people, brothers and sisters, and maybe you're one of them, I don't know. There are a lot of people who believe that so long as you keep the Sabbath, this is the ultimate safety and security in the last days. Maybe it's not spelled out this way, but it's this subconscious psyche that exists in the Adventist mindsets. And it is a very dangerous one because if we're off on one point, it's, it's one of the worst deceptions to think that you're going in the, into the time of trouble or into the final days, thinking you're going to receive the seal of God and ending up with the mark of the beast. It's one of the worst deceptions. And it's a very, very serious one. As we said, the issue in the last days is worship. And when it comes to worship, when we talk about the Sabbath, of course, we talk about the fourth commandment. The fourth commandment is uh, the commandment that tells us when we worship and why we worship. We worship on the seventh day because God created all things in six days. That's the reason. And all the focus is on that. But you know, the issue of worship is not only limited to the fourth commandment. There are three other commandments before it. And all three have to do with worship. The first commandment talks about who we worship. The second commandment talks about what we worship. And the third commandment talks about how we worship. And of course, the fourth is the one we're familiar with. And all four brothers and sisters are involved in the issue in the last days. You know, I'm say, well, how, where did we get all that from? The first commandment, God says, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, right? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's the identity of who the giver of that law is, who we worship. Second commandment, God says, don't make any, any image or idol or anything to worship. God is not a thing. God is not some substance, some either. God is a living, tangible person. He is a being. He is a living person. And of course, the third commandment talks about taking the, God's name in vain. 
which is, has to do with reverence, right? And finally, the fourth commandment, of course, is the one we're familiar with as far as the Sabbath is concerned. So all four have to do with worship. Now, I'll ask you a question. This is a really easy question. Which one is more important? <coughs> when we worship or who we worship? Of course, well, God put it as number one, right? So God put it first. Now, I'm not saying one is not important. I'm saying which one is more important. They are all important. But to focus all the attention on just number four, to the point of even ignoring the first one, puts us in a very, very dangerous situation. And this is the danger I wanna to address today. I'll give you a vivid example we have recorded for us in the scriptures. And this serves as a very direct parallel. I like it because there are many similar aspects. And this example, of course, is the Jews. The Jewish nation, as we know, rejected the Son of God, right? the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus said in a number of places, let's review a couple of verses. In John 8, 42, Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. They professed to be worshiping God, the true God, but they rejected his son. And Jesus is telling them basically, if you really love God, you would love me, I'm his son. But they had a problem with that. They'd rejected the Lord of the Sabbath. And yet they continued to keep the Sabbath. And all the while, their continual Sabbath keeping gave them a sense of safety and security, right? They felt that they were safe. Let's see what else the scripture says. John 12, 44. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And the inverse is also true. If you don't believe on Christ, then you don't believe on him that sent him. And that's exactly what the Jewish nation had done. They had rejected him as the son, as the Lord of the Sabbath. I think we all know, I'm not going to go into all these details, but I want to highlight a point here, brothers and sisters. And the point is this, there is a very, very serious and alarming falsehood and deception that comes about from thinking that we are doing what God requires. They were keeping the law. They were good Sabbath keepers, but in the process they had missed the author of the law. And all their Sabbath keeping amounted to nothing. Jerusalem was destroyed while they were keeping the Sabbath. They were Sabbath keepers. And uh, there is danger, grave danger in that for us today as well. In John 5, 23, Jesus says that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. And we must honor him as the son. To honor the son, we must honor him for who he really is. We cannot honor him by refusing his very identity, who he really is. To honor the son as God designs for us to honor him. And of course, like I said, the Jews rejected that because somehow their trust and their safety had shifted from God to their Sabbath keeping. And you know what? The same problem exists today. Where people's trust and confidence somehow, maybe subconsciously, can shift from the God of the Sabbath to the Sabbath day. And this is exactly how the enemy is working towards 
in the manuscript releases, let me read you this statement. Notice what it says. Satan is working that the history of the Jewish nation may be repeated in the experience of those who claim to believe present truth. Who is that? Who are those who claim to believe present truth? That's all of us, right? Satan is working to, to do a repeat of what happened to the Jews. And here's how it works. The Jews had the Old Testament scriptures and supposed themselves conversant with them, but they made a woeful mistake. The prophecies that refer to the glorious second appearing of Christ in the clouds of heaven, they regarded as referring to his first coming. Because he did not come according to their expectations, they turned away from him. Satan knew just how to take these men in his net and deceive and destroy them. What was it? It was expectations based on misunderstanding of scriptures. Isn't that right? You read the Bible a certain way and you just twist it a little bit or you misunderstand it a little bit and that develops a certain expectation in the mindset. And if what happens in reality does not match with your expectation, you're not ready for what's coming. And this is the danger, brothers and sisters, because we have a certain expectation of what's going to happen in the last days. It's going to be thus and so. As a matter of fact, we've got pictures, we've got charts, very detailed charts. I've seen lots of them. They don't even all match. But anyway, charts and all these expectations that we have, it's going to be just this way. And you know what? Every person who is conversant and familiar with that topic is expecting not to receive the mark of the beast, but expecting to receive what? The seal of God. Isn't that right? And the danger, the grave danger is if somehow we have this misreading or misunderstanding of the scriptures, it can lead us to this false expectation. And it's a very, very serious one. Satan is behind the fact, behind this effort to try and bring that experience that happened to the, to the Jews to us. It's a very, very serious danger. It's something to really pause to consider, to seriously consider. Because to be honest, at one point, in my experience, in my understanding, I thought I knew all about the seal and the mark. You know, you just keep the seventh day holy, Sabbath day, you're safe for the last days. You know what I'm talking about, right? You know, some people's preparation for the last days is dependent on their willpower. I'll give you an example. You know, and I've heard this, we're talking to people over the years. And some people say, you know, I'll, I'll never, I'll never break the Sabbath, even if they put a gun to my head, brother. Even if they put a gun to my head. And they have this determined, sheer force of will, with all good intention, with all good motive, very sincere. But brothers and sisters, if this is the case, then we've missed something major. The issue in the last days cannot be so shallow. It cannot be so shallow. And yet so many people, so many people, this is what it amounts to in their minds. It's a very, very serious and grave danger. And, and the sad thing is you see that the Jews condemned Christ for violating the Sabbath, or at least according to their understanding. Of course, he didn't violate the Sabbath, but they condemned him and they killed him. And one of the reasons why they killed him was not just because he said he was the son of God, but because in their mind he had violated the Sabbath. And the same problem exists today. When attention is brought to the Son of God as, as the Lord of the Sabbath and for, to His true position, a lot of people say, well, you guys, you're really making a lot of noise about nothing. The issue in the last days is over the Sabbath and, and you know, the, the Sunday and immortality of the soul. This whole Godhead, Trinity stuff is really a major distraction. You heard about that? And people seem to rise up to try and protect the Sabbath issue. 
Just like the Jews tried vehemently to protect the Sabbath from the Lord of the Sabbath. He was treading on their Sabbath. And the same thing, brothers and sisters, happens today. People have almost this fear that you're diluting the intensity of the issue of the Sabbath by bringing this other issue here that's totally irrelevant and unrelated. You guys are off with the fairies. You're trying to push this, this Godhead stuff everywhere. Mrs. White never said anything about the Godhead in the last days. Well, this is why we're looking at the seal on the mark, okay? You familiar with that line of reasoning? And what that does, brothers and sisters, it prevents a lot of people from really questioning and examining their expectation of what's going to happen in the last days. And, and we are repeating the history of the Jewish nation. It's a very, very grave danger. Very, very grave danger. And so I want to challenge that, like I said. And some might say, well, this, this young brother here telling us, changing everything about the seal of God. Mrs. White says the seal of God is the Sabbath. That's it. Case closed. So someone might say, and people like to quote uh, Sister White, which is, which is great. We can quote Sister White. Uh, let's read some quotes where she says some things about the seal of God. Here's one. Those who would have the seal of God in their foreheads must keep the Sabbath of the fourth commandment. Because the Sabbath is the sign of the possession of the seal. You see, the issue is this. We have come to believe that the seal of God is the Sabbath. That's it. Right? Generally speaking, if I ask anyone, what's the seal of God? Sabbath. We never talk about the God of the Sabbath, do we? Why? It's assumed that, well, we all got it right. And therein lies our great danger. Satan is using that against us to keep us in a state of false security and deception. We've got the sign and we're happy we've got the sign and we're nowhere near the destination. Here's another one. The true observance of the Sabbath is the sign of loyalty to who? To God. Loyalty to God. Now, which God would that be? The owner of the seal, the true and living God. So if you are confused or you got the wrong God, what good is it having the Sabbath, which is a sign of loyalty to him? There is a very important link and connection here between the two. And of course, I think there is a, uh, this one particular quote, I think we're familiar with it. And I really like this one because this brings it home. This is from last day events. Defining what the sealing is. Just as soon as the people of God are sealed in their foreheads, it is not any seal or mark that can be seen, but a settling into the truth, both intellectually and spiritually, so they cannot be moved. Just as soon as God's people are sealed and prepared for the shaking, it will come indeed. It has begun already. So the sealing, according to what we just read here, is a settling into the truth on two, on two levels or in two ways, intellectually and spiritually, so that we cannot be moved. I want to ask you a question. What is the very first truth that comes to your mind when we talk about the seal of the living God? You would say the Sabbath, right? And rightly so, very good. But before it should be, the living God, right? The very first truth about the seal of the living God should be the owner of the seal. So if you have error about the true and living God, can you receive the seal? Even if you have the Sabbath? I'll let you think about that. Because sometimes, brothers and sisters, this scenario, we don't consider it. Perhaps we don't consider the scenario. And it's a very serious one because, you know, if you really think about it and let that sink into your mind a little bit, it's going to be very alarming. 
You know, around the world, there's how many of us Adventists? How many million? 17. 17, let's say 20. Let's be generous and include everyone who people say shouldn't be included. Let's say 20, let's say 25, however many. That's a lot of million people. If you just think about that for a minute, brothers and sisters, here is a group of people who feel that we are ready for the last days. We know just what deception Satan's got lined up and we figured it all out. And we're going to the last days with a certain sense of confidence. And yet, woefully, we have missed something major along the way. If you just let that sink into your mind a little bit, it is alarming. It is very, very alarming. And it is very serious. So I want to challenge that particular aspect. When we talk about uh, the truth about God, what about the truth, settling into the truth? What about the truth about the Son of God? Is that important to settle into both intellectually and spiritually? Of course. These are foundational truths, brothers and sisters. The Bible says to have eternal life is to know the only true God and His Son, Jesus Christ. We have reduced the issue, sadly, to something that has to do with what we do. I want to challenge you as well because I want to say something here. I want you to think about it. Knowing the truth about God does not necessarily mean that you know God. Okay? Because you might sit there and think, okay, that's good. We, we know this. We know the true and living God. We are not like them. So it's not about us and them. I want to challenge you. Knowing the truth about God does not necessarily mean that you know God or that you know His Son. Okay? Because settling into the truth is not just intellectually. It is intellectually and spiritually. Knowing the truth about God will definitely help you and enhance the relationship that you should have with the Father and the Son. But it does not guarantee that then you have it just because you know it in your head. So I don't want you to sit there and think, well, he's talking about them and not us. I'm talking about everyone, brothers and sisters. If we do not have that living, vital relationship with the Father through the Son, we cannot... We cannot receive the seal. The seal is not given based on how much information you have or what kind of accurate scriptural interpretation you have. It is given based on the fact that the Father is your sanctifier. That happens by Him dwelling in us. That's what the Sabbath is a sign of. So I want us to keep that particular point in mind because the scripture says, what kind of, what group of people are sealed with the seal of the living God? It says, until we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And in uh, John 12, verse 26, Jesus says, If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. The servants of God, they follow Christ. It's something that changes our behavior. It's something, not, sorry, not just our behavior. It's something that changes our being by him dwelling in us. And as a result, of course, the behavior will show. <clears throat> Serving God, I want to I mention this a little bit because sometimes we get a little bit confused. Serving God is not by having right ideas or right doctrines or right interpretations. It's not by stopping fellowship with certain people who don't agree with us. It's not by any of these things. Serving God is only if we have His Son. Then the Father will honor us. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because I think we all know a lot of these things and issues come up among us, brothers and sisters, and, and there's a lot of zeal, and there's a lot of uh, 
good intentions and motives for people believing and thinking that they are doing the right thing and serving God, trying to protect whether it be ideas or concepts or, or theories or interpretations, which are all good and well in their place. But that's not why we receive the seal of God. It's not. It's if we have him living in us. That's the key. So I really want to, I don't want us to miss that because there's always the temptation. Think, yeah, we, we have the right information. It's okay. We're, we're safe. So now that we looked at that, this will help us understand this, the mark of the beast. Of course, when I talk about the mark of the beast, obviously, like we said, the first thing that comes to mind is Sunday. But this is why we need to look at them because they are kind of like a mirror image or an inverse, right? So Sunday also serves as a as a sign, just like the Sabbath serves as a sign. Well, someone say, well, hold on a minute. Well, are you trying to say there's more to the seal, uh, to the mark of the beast? Yes, of course, there's more to the mark of the beast. Let's have a look what we can find. Because, uh, yeah, let, let's, let's look at some verses. One of the first mentions uh, of, of the mark of the beast. Because remember, the issue of worship in the last days works on both sides. Sunday is a sign of who is worshipped in this system of the beast. It's not just when you worship, it is also who is worshipped. That's a very significant point, as we shall see. Let's look at some verses. Revelation 13, 16 and 17. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. You ever thought about that verse? That's one of the first mentions of the mark of the beast. But it says here that there is the mark of the beast, but then there's this other stuff as well. And this other stuff, we don't generally talk about it too much. It's, let's put it up here. Okay, there's the mark, and there is also the name, and there is the number. Well, the mark, that's kind of what we're dealing with. It has to do with Sunday. That's what everybody believes. We'll so look at that. And the number, I think we all know the number. What's the number? 666. Okay. What about the name? Because if you have any of these, you're in the same group, on the wrong side, right? So it's not just the mark of the beast. You might not get the mark. If you get the name, you end up with the same result, right? And if you have the number, same story. The focus most of the time is on the mark of the beast. What about this name? What's this name? Okay, beast. <laughs> beast. What's, what's it mean? What's having his name mean? Okay, character. How is that manifested? There's a lot of silence here. Do you know what the name is? Listen, if you don't know the name uh, and you get it, you're in trouble. You know, we, we, this is the thing. We become experts on what the danger is, but we need to examine the scripture clearly. Okay, it has to do with worship, someone is saying. Exactly. Let's have a look what the name is. In the same chapter, verse 1, Revelation 13, 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of what? Blasphemy. If you have the mark or the name or the number, same story. And the name is said to be the name of blasphemy. So what's blasphemy? Remember Jesus one time, the Jews took up the stones to stone him. And Jesus says, why do you stone me? For which good work? They said, no, because of blasphemy. Because you being a man made yourself God. They refused to accept his sonship. And so blasphemy is to make God that which is not right? Or to take on the attributes and prerogatives of God that you, of course, do not have a right to. 
like we know, you know, a lot of people use that where the Rome claims to forgive sins through the priest, right? And only God can forgive sins. That's a form of blasphemy. But blasphemy is also making God that which is not and causing to worship that which does not deserve worship. That is also blasphemy. And if you have the name of blasphemy, you don't even need the mark of the beast. You're going to end up in the same place, right? That's what we're reading. And so all of a sudden you might be thinking, oh, there, there, is, there is more to this story. And there is. <clears throat> Just like God's people are named with the Father's name. This is who they worship. So also those who have false worship are named with the name of blasphemy. That's the God that they worship. That's the issue. That's the contest between these two sides in the last days. Who we worship. Now, I think we all know, you know, when we do evangelism and, and do outreach programs, I think we're familiar. When we come to the point of the mark of the beast, usually uh, we'll produce some quotes, right, from Rome that say something along the lines of Sunday is our mark of authority, right? You familiar with that? Or, or something about the sacredness of Sunday and how Sunday is so important and so on and so forth. And these are very good quotes. They're in their place. Uh, but that's not everything that Rome says. As a matter of fact, Rome says that there is a doctrine that they believe that is more important than Sunday. Now, which doctrine is that? Well, everybody here knows. But you know, not everybody's aware of that. Not everybody's aware of that. I think we know, but here is, I'll just give you an example. This is from the Catechism. The mystery of the Most Holy Trinity is the central mystery of the Christian faith and life. It is the mystery of God in himself. It is therefore the source of all other mysteries of faith, including Sunday. The light that enlightens them. It is the most fundamental and essential teaching in the hierarchy of the truths of faith. This is the God that they worship in that particular system. I think we all know this one. We could recite it by heart, right? The mystery of the Trinity is the central doctrine of the Catholic faith. Upon it are based all the other teachings of the church, including Sunday. This is the God that is worshipped. And of course, they say that the reason, Catholic reasons for keeping Sunday, because it's a day dedicated by the apostles to the honor of the most holy Trinity. Of course, apostles did no such thing. But this is the reason that Rome gives. There is a link here between the day and between the God that is worshipped in Rome. And so the God that is worshipped in Rome is the Trinity. And of course, the Trinity is none other than the Sun God. And Sunday worship is a sign of allegiance to this God. Okay? Now, I'm not going to, I don't have time here to go into all the details of how the Trinity is the ancient sun god that comes from worship, uh, from Babylon, and it has to do with, with false concepts of worship. There's material here somewhere about it. You can, if, you, if you're not aware, you can come talk to me about that after. But I think most people here are, are aware. So when we put the seal and the mark side by side in this way, all of a sudden, it takes on a very different picture to what most people who are experts on this topic think and believe. Isn't that right? Now this makes it very, very serious, brothers and sisters. Very, very serious. What Rome has done essentially is they have replaced the true and living God with this false sun God. And that is biblically 
blasphemy because it is the ultimate perversion of worship when you worship the wrong God. Obviously, the Sunday has to do with that as well. And why, you know, you see it as well later on in the book. In Revelation says there is a, the woman sitting on the beast and there is a name written there. What is it? Mystery, Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And of course, we know these harlots refer to all these churches. All the churches that are affiliated with the same system of worship that worship the same thing are daughters of that woman. If you have that, the mark or the name or the number, if you have that, you're in the wrong group. Isn't that right? That makes it very serious. I want you to think about that for a minute, brothers and sisters. How many people do you know in the church are aware of these issues and principles when it comes to the mark and the seal? Most don't know, right? Most do not know. When we look at, uh, <clears throat> when it says, Mystery Babylon, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. You know, in the book of Ezekiel, God took Ezekiel to the, to the sanctuary and to the temple, to the holy city. And he showed him there four abominations in Ezekiel 8 and 9. You're familiar with that chapter, those chapters? Four abominations. All four had to do with the worship of false gods, culminating in the worship of the sun. And that was happening among God's professed people just before the close of probation. Because in chapter 9, what happens is the application of the seal on those who are not involved in the same false worship. That's a picture, brothers and sisters. That's a picture of our current condition today among God's people, God's professed people. Now, someone might say, well, you guys are really taking it too far now. You know, are you trying to say that the Trinity has to do with the mark of the beast? Yes, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. I don't want anyone to misunderstand me. Yes. And people will say, hold on, hold on. You guys, this, this, is, this issue is just your favorite topic, and you just like to shove it everywhere. You know, you just like to make it of more importance than it is. We have quotes. Mrs. White says, doesn't ever say anything about the mark of the beast having to do with the Trinity. You people are out of your minds. You familiar with that type of reasoning? And it's sad, brothers and sisters, because there are... Things and principles, you just looked at it from the Bible, from the scriptures. The principle based on the scripture is, is clear. But I want to share something here because, you know, someone say you guys are off with the fairies here. Let's read some spirit of prophecy statements because that's what people sometimes like to go resort to. This is the final thing. You know, sometimes if you show them from the Bible, that's not good enough for some people. If you can show it from the spirit of prophecy, then they will believe it. That's a very big problem among us. You realize that, don't you? Let's read some spirit of prophecy for those who... Oh, we already dealt with that. For those who would like to read Spirit of Prophecy. Testimonies, Volume 6. The light we have received upon the third angel's message is the true light. The mark of the beast is exactly what it has been proclaimed to be. Which is what? Enforced Sunday worship. And then she says, Not all in regard to this matter is yet understood. Nor will it be understood until the unrolling of the scroll. But a most solemn work is to be accomplished in our world. So the mark of the beast is what it is. But there is more. Isn't that right? So here's the question. What is the more? We've been over a hundred years since this was written. What more is there to the mark of the beast that she's talking about? We just looked at it. You know, she says it will become apparent with the unrolling of the scroll. With the passage of time, as prophetic time unrolls, 
and moves forward, things and issues will get clearer and God's people are expected to see and understand the deeper issues. That's what she says. But we've stopped, it seems. And in stopping, there is grave danger. So the issue is not just Sunday and enforced Sunday worship. There is more to that. There is a lot more to that. Which God do you worship? I want to emphasize this point because I keep going back to it. In in examining the the issue in the last days, you know, I have friends and, and some friends have told me this. You know, they meet people on the, on the train or on the plane or the bus or whatever, and, and they want to give, give them a, a safety tip for the last days, right? And they might not have much time with them. And, and you, might, you might understand this, I don't know, but this is what, what happened. And this friend told this, this person, this stranger, look, in the last days, when the Sunday law comes in, just make sure you don't go along with it. Keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the day of the Lord, the seventh day, or something to that effect. And do you know what I'm talking about? And said, you might not understand me now, but when it happens, you'll remember this conversation and then you'll be saved. And this shows very good motive, very good intention, but it, it, it highlights a certain psyche. It illustrates that if you want to summarize the whole issue in the last days and bring it down to its most fundamental thing, it's which day you're going to worship. You got the right day, you're safe. You got the wrong day, woe unto you. And this is the problem we have today. I know people who do that. You, you know what I'm talking about? The Sabbath and National Sunday Law is a book about National Sunday Law, right? That's, that's what it's all about, isn't that right? Great, excellent information, but it does not take into account more that we are told is to be there. And the sad reality is, it's so the, the deception is so serious that when you point out the true and living God to people, you almost get stoned. You say this issue is not relevant. We are in very, very grave danger. Brothers and sisters, the Jews perished while they were keeping the Sabbath. It did absolutely nothing for them but keep them deceived. And I want to illustrate this psyche today that exists in the minds of millions of people. Our people, our own brothers, our own sisters, our own family members. Isn't that right? It's a very, very dangerous one. I want to illustrate that. This is our diagram. I hope this audio works. Let's see if it does. So, Elder Wilson, we've heard about the beast, his image. What about this mark? What is this mark? Well, Don, it's mentioned, of course, in verse 9. It is also mentioned in verse 11. And it is always connected in both of those places with the worshiping of the beast and his image. So there's something about the mark and the worship. And actually, this does uh, represent very much the authority of the beast and the image. And what gives that, uh, that power, that authority? As we understand it from uh, biblical understanding, that this comes out of an attempt to change times and laws which is founded in an understanding that it comes out of Rome and an attempt to actually change God's Ten Commandments so that the day of worship becomes one other than the seventh-day Sabbath. And in fact, the mark of the beast would be the worship of God on any other day 
than that particular day because that is a sign of God's authority. In fact, let's contrast the mark of the beast with the seal of God because the seal of God for God's people in the last days will be their adherence, their love of him and their observance of the day which he has ordained and made sacred, the seventh day Sabbath. So you are sealed with a special connection with him when you keep that day. Anyone keeping a day other than that ultimately will be keeping the sign or the mark of the authority of the beast, which has changed the day of worship to another day. Okay, the reason I put that there, is that still on? This is a very clear illustration of the entire Adventist psyche, right? Very good, very relevant information, but in the unrolling of the scroll, it is missing what is more. And nobody really examines or talks about who the living God is or his identity or who you worship when it comes to the issue of the mark and the seal in the last days. That's why I'm using this. I'm using this to illustrate, brothers and sisters, that we are in grave danger. Having partial information is not enough. If you miss something that causes you to be confused over worship and who you worship, you are qualifying yourself to receive not the seal of God, but the mark of the beast. Now I know that what I'm saying is very, very serious. There are people who are gonna, who are gonna flip when they hear this. I know that. But that's why we're looking at the evidence from the scriptures. That's why we're looking at what even the spirit of prophecy has to say. I want to give you some thought questions here, okay? Because when we look at that, is it possible for someone who worships on Sunday to be worshiping the true and living God? Is that possible? Okay, good. So what would they receive? You tell me, okay? You can think about it. That's possible. Now, of course, of course, if they're worshiping the true and living God, His Spirit is in them. He leads them. He guides them. At one point in their experience, He will, of course, lead them to the truth about when is the right time to worship Him. Correct? And they will respond to that if they're truly full of His Spirit and so on and so forth. You see, too often, brothers and sisters, we look down on Sunday keepers, right? Somewhere there in the back of our mind, when the issue of the mark of the beast and seal of God, a Sunday keeper as an Adventist, I think you know what I'm talking about. Maybe we don't like to admit it, but we look down on them, poor Sunday keepers. They are all re getting ready for this mark of the beast, poor people. This is, an, an, un this is a, an undercurrent of Adventist psyche. You know what I'm talking about, right? We might not like to admit it, but we have a certain sense of spiritual superiority because we have the right day and they have the wrong day. We don't ever consider this scenario. We don't consider this scenario. Okay, well, well, obviously, what about the other way? Is it possible for someone to be worshiping on the Sabbath and worshiping this God, the God of Rome, the Trinity? Yes, yes that's possible. What would happen to them? Hmm, glad God is judge, not us, huh? So the, the point here is this, brothers and sisters, this seal of God and mark of the beast issue is not as clear cut as we would like to think. As far as you worship on the right day, you're in, you worship on the wrong day, you're out. It's not as shallow and simplistic as that. 
Come on, give the devil a little bit more credit. You with me? There's deception involved. And deception is not just for all the Sunday keepers. Oh, the devil, we missed out on the Sabbath keepers. They're all safe. Let's just focus on the Sunday keepers. That is not the case. We just read his focus and attention is on who? On us. And that includes us even if we know the truth about God, right? That I can mention. Let me read to you something else here. We're just, uh, just in closing. Just some thoughts to stir our minds a little bit. Okay, here's Bible Commentary, Volume 7. This is a very serious one. Let's read this carefully. The third angel's message has been sent forth into the world, warning men against receiving the mark of the beast or of his image in their foreheads or in their hands. To receive this mark means to come to the same decision as the beast has done and to advocate the same ideas in direct opposition to the word of God. Wow. We don't quote that one when we talk about the mark and the seal, right? That one doesn't specify the Sabbath or, or Sunday. What's it say? To receive the mark is to come to the same decisions like the beast and to advocate the same ideas that are unbiblical. Now, what is the foremost issue in the last days? It is worship. So if we advocate the same ideas of worship or if we advocate the same God that the beast is worshiping, then what are we doing according to this? We are marketing the mark of the beast, right? Now, I'm not saying this, okay? You're reading it for yourself. Because like I told you, when you say some of these things, some people get really upset. Some people who might not believe the same as far as God or the, or the Godhead and so on, they get really upset. Some people even get really offended. Now, the point is not to upset people or offend people. The point is to warn people, brothers and sisters. The enemy here is the devil, not the brother or the sister who doesn't know what we know, who doesn't believe what we believe. As a matter of fact, they're victims. They're victims of a horrible deception the devil has perpetrated on God's people. And the majority of us don't have a clue. Millions, millions of us don't have a clue. I want to illustrate that as well to show you just how serious it is. So according to this, I can't emphasize this enough. According to this, when we come to the same decisions as the beast, especially when it comes to our worship, is tantamount to receiving the mark. I want to play this for you as well. Because the issue is when you share some of these things with people, they, they don't believe you. Let me also indicate that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all participated in the literal creation of this world. They are the Godhead, three in one, and have existed since eternity and will exist throughout eternity. They are omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, and everlasting. Three distinct eternal persons, one God, our Almighty God. That's a lot of people, brothers and sisters. That's a lot of amens. May God have mercy on us. May God have mercy on us. This is very serious. To advocate the same ideas, contrary to the Word of God, is tantamount to receiving the mark of the beast. I know what I'm saying is very serious. I, I really pray that it'll sink into our minds and to realize what kind of responsibility we have towards our brothers and our sisters. I don't need to ask for a show of hands here to, say, to ask if you know someone or you have a family member in the church who, knows, who doesn't know this or, or, or who's opposed. Or, I think I know some of your stories already. We all know people 
It is a very, very serious, serious thing. When it comes to the seal and the mark, as we said, who you worship is a much bigger factor than just when you worship. As a matter of fact, we're told, not all who profess to keep the Sabbath will be sealed, right? So that immediately tells you that the seal is more than just the Sabbath or Sabbath keeping. Now, there's an interesting aspect because when you talk about these things, people say, whoa, 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 hold on a minute now. You guys really, really lost the plot now. Look, this is what I just said, the seal is the Sabbath, and they just go to these quotes. Some people have this, this thing about, they have these favorite quotes and they just camp on them, right? And they, they don't want to consider the other quotes. That's why I put some of the other quotes there to just stir our thinking a little bit. You know, Mrs. White said a lot of things, not just those favorite ones that people like. But when it comes to the issue of the seal, we have a very interesting aspect that, or story that illustrates for us the, the historical context of all these quotes that were given. Uh, remember, Mrs. White talked to, about one sister in her time who had died, and she said that she was sealed with the seal of the living God, right? Remember that, Mrs. Hastings? Yeah. Okay, let, let's read that a little bit because th this presents us with a very interesting scenario. She's writing a letter to her husband, right, to comfort him, encourage him. She says, I saw that Mrs. Hastings was sealed and will come up with the voice of God and stand upon the earth and will be with the 144,000. I saw we need not mourn for her. She would rest in the time of trouble. And all that we could mourn for was our loss of, uh, in being deprived of her company. I saw her death would result in good. Here is a person that died. Mrs. White writes this in 1850. That's over 100 years ago. 1850, and says this sister Hastings was sealed. Okay, she was sealed with the seal of the living God. I want you to think about that for a minute. This sister is dead. Which God was she worshiping? According to Trinitarian historians, which God was she worshiping? Not the Trinity, right? She was worshiping the true and living God, and she believed in his only begotten son as did the entire church at the time, as is admitted by Trinitarian historians today, correct? And she was sealed with the seal of the living God. Now I ask you another question. Uh, is it possible for someone to be worshiping this God and then another here, someone worshiping this God and having this different idea about God and they all receive the seal of the living God? Is that possible? Because it's admitted today currently by the people in the church, that we worship a different God than was worshipped by our founding fathers. And yet we are expecting to receive the same seal of the living God, the seal that this sister received. Brothers and sisters, that is impossible. You're not going to have groups in the 144,000, oh, we worship God this way. Oh, we're the group who advanced into further light, so we worship Him now this way, and it's a different God. And we all are going to be sealed with the seal of the living God. Impossible. This is a very serious deception. We have to take into account the historical context of some of these things that have occurred. And to be quite honest, Mrs. Hastings here presents a very, a very serious uh, uh, contradiction when it comes to the seal of the living God. It's admitted that they worshiped a different God. So how do we today expect to receive the same seal that she received while worshiping a different God? Very serious. Just like not every Sabbath or not every professed Sabbath keeper is going to receive the seal of God. I want to give you another surprise, like we mentioned before. Not every professed believer in the truth about God is going to get the seal either. What makes the difference is how the truth has changed us. Not only intellectually, but spiritually. 
So don't just take it for granted and feel and get this false sense of security and safety that we got it all right, we're okay, poor them, lucky us. That's a very dangerous thing, brothers and sisters. So, the God that you worship is what makes all the difference. Who will we worship? The Sabbath is a sign of allegiance to the true God. Sunday is a sign of allegiance to the triune God, to the Trinity God, or whatever version or variety you would like to come up with. It's, this, is, this is on this side. Let us be aware of the issues that are in the last days. And let us do our duty in being our brothers and sisters keeper. And warn our brothers in love, not to bang them on the head with these books, pick the big, biggest book and bang them on the head with it. Okay, let's, let's not do that because sometimes we have a tendency to do that, right? Especially when you know you have the argument for truth. And sadly, we turn many people off. Now, I realize sometimes you'll do your best efforts and people still don't understand, but I just, I just really wanted to dawn on us, brothers and sisters, that picture of that group of people in Ezekiel 9 that sigh and that cry for what is happening in the church. They are those who see the problem. They realize what it means. They realize the extent of what it means that all these brothers and sisters of theirs are in a very serious deception. That's us today. Are we sighing and crying or are we yelling at them? Okay, it makes a difference how we share the truth. If we're sanctified by the truth or it's just an intellectual theory that we use to win arguments and knock people on the head. Because that's a problem that exists amongst us, as well, amongst us as well, right? I know many Trinitarians who don't believe what we believe because some brother or sister gave them a very poor witness. You know what I'm talking about? Let's not be like that. The issue is serious. It's very serious. I hope I've shared enough to stir your thoughts, to stir your minds, to cause us to really examine our hearts and see whether we have indeed settled into the truth spiritually, sorry, intellectually and spiritually. Let's kneel as we pray together. If you are blessed by this message, please share it with others. Be sure to subscribe to get notified of future episodes. Your prayers and support are appreciated. May God richly bless you through His Son, Jesus.